Well, good morning, fellowship. We're so glad that you're here. Let's stand and worship together. Come on.
Good morning, fellowship. Welcome. Can't wait to worship with you this morning. If you are a first-time visitor, an extra special welcome. And please see us at the information booth in the foyer afterwards. We'd love to get to know you, take you out to coffee, and uh, learn how we can best serve you and partner with you in ministry. Fellowship, it's family camp time. May 13th and 14th, New Life Ranch, Flint Valley. It's going to be awesome. There's two options. There's the one-day option or there's the overnight option. If you choose the overnight option, you actually get your own personal cabin. How cool is that? Also, first time our family went to family camp, Cooper was six, Campbell was a baby. We get there, it's at night, and we're walking down this hill, and I hadn't been to New Life Ranch in a long time, so I didn't know that this was there. They had this miniature little little league field, and there's these giant lights around it, and there's all these kids running around, screaming and playing and having fun, and Cooper looks at me and goes, Dad, is this heaven? (laughs) I said, no, son, it's Oklahoma. (laughs) Sorry, old baseball movie joke. So family camp, please sign up. Beth, what you got going? Well, good morning, ladies. This one's for you. Um, Next week at 1030, across the hallway in the Family Center, we want to have a conversation about discipleship. So if you have been a part of a discipleship um, experience, we would love for you to come join, share with us um, how that impacted you, um, how you did that. We'd like to talk about it and learn from you. And also, if you're interested in pursuing discipleship and you've got questions, we invite you into that as well. We want to answer those questions the best we can and help steer you on this path towards spiritual growth if you're curious what that looks like. So it's not a sign-up opportunity. We just want to come alongside you and help you pursue that if it's of interest. Just just chat about it. That's what we're going to do. We're going to talk. We're good at talking, ladies, right? That's it. Thanks, Next Beth. week. Thanks, yep. Beth. Fellowship men, you don't need me to remind you about the men's retreat, May 5th and 6th. We don't have to be reminded how awesome the food's going to be or the canoeing or the the mountain biking and all that fun stuff. But the most important part of our men's retreat is we're going to give you time to connect with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Plenty of time to focus on him, get in the word, listen to him, worship him. So that's, that's the whole point of the retreat. That's, the, that's the, really the bottom line. So Thomas Oven, great friend of mine for the past over 20 years, love him to death. Him and his wife Katie and their three kids are members here at Fellowship. He had a life-changing experience at one of our men's retreats and he's going to share it with you. So uh, please check out this video. Our relationship with my mom was pretty tough. We just had a, a really big argument where we have not spoken for a few months. My mom's been battling cancer for the last four months. There's been silence on my side and there's been a silence on, on her side. And our friend of mine invited to go on a man's retreat. With the encouragement of my wife, Katie, uh, I went on this trip. Little did I know that God is gonna use that retreat to really change my heart The theme of that trip, which I did not know at the time, was on forgiveness. So during that time, um, really God changed my heart in terms of if I wanted to hear from God, then I need to have my heart in a good place. And so I went home from that trip 
having that surgical approach in my heart and the areas that I really, really needed to seek forgiveness from, and then how that's gonna affect my relationship with my mom. I wrote a letter just expressing just my feelings and, and asking for forgiveness. And so it took a couple months. My mom reached out and said, hey, we need to get this taken care of. And so we need that reconciliation process. So together, uh, we were able to reconcile. Um, and then a few months later, she passed away. The Lord had a greater plan uh, for me to go on that man's retreat. And that greater plan was the reconciliation. I think that's probably the most important thing that I would express and take away. I was blessed, I've been fortunate to have a group of guys that come along with this journey and have them pray for me and then check up on me after the retreat. I was grateful of that. Going on this trip um, with a group of men, it truly fast forwards your connection and your trust with each other where it would take numerous of weeks of meeting together to, to create that friendship, create that trust. Your distractions are taken away. Your main focus is like that building that relationship and then and then at the same time you got your studying word of God. It's incredible to see how God cultivated those friendships and how that's been a lasting even now that no matter what happens in my life, um, I can make a quick phone call or a quick text and I know they would drop what they're doing just to encourage, uh, just walk along beside this path, uh, whatever the path may look like. Amen, what a testimony. Would you uh, stand with us as we continue to worship and praise our Lord together? I'm reminded of the psalmist as he wrote in Psalm 147 says this, hallelujah, it's a good thing to sing praise to our God. Praise is beautiful. Praise is fitting. So it's fitting this morning that we gather together to worship him for who he is and what he's done for us. So let's continue to join with all creation. Praise his name.
Bear my 
that sealed the promise Your buried body begin to breathe Out of the silence The roaring light Declared the grave has no claim on me Then came the morning that sealed the Hallelujah. 
take a moment to rest in that truth that the God who was raised from the grave is the very God that suffered for us, who died in our place. He was acquainted with sorrow and grief that he took on the punishment that brought us peace and by his wounds we are healed. Just take a moment in prayer to thank him for that. We thank you, God. Let's continue to sing of the gospel truth together. You may be seated this morning as we enter a time of offering. The plates will be passed. We'll continue to worship through giving and song today.
together. We find our hope and our strength in Him. Jesus from life's first cry till final breath we place our faith our hope and our trust in you Lord to you and you alone we pledge our allegiance and we ask that you would guide us as we look at the scriptures today that you would guide us each step of the week before us it's in Jesus name we pray amen Well, have you ever had one of those moments that was beyond belief? It was an instant in time where you could not believe what your eyes were seeing. In those moments, there's surprise, there's shock, there's doubt, there's amazement. A few years ago, I was fishing with my children. We were wet wading Flint Creek just over the Oklahoma border. In fact, we were at New Life Ranch where we have our family camp and we were catching fish. The sun was out. It was warm. It was cool as we got in the water and we were catching perch and goggle eye and smallmouth bass. It was a blast. And I cast my line out and as I was bringing it in, I hooked something that felt really big. In fact, it started pulling my drag and I got really excited. And I thought it was a fish, and it kind of was. And as I started to reel it in, I couldn't wait to see what was going to come to the surface. And when I pulled it up, it was a 24-inch snake and a fish. I know you don't believe me, but I actually caught a twofer. A goggle eye in the mouth of a snake. My kids freaked it was one of those moments as a dad where I was like, thank you, Lord. 
And so we unhooked the snake and killed it, and we threw the fish. By the way, it lived. Got thrown back. Um, I know you don't believe me, so I've got video. If you are squirmish of snakes, close your eyes now. It was shocking. I literally couldn't believe what had happened. I actually caught the fish lure in its mouth, and then sometime on the way in, the snake saw lunch, and the, lake decide, the snake decided to try and eat the fish. It was just one of those moments that was beyond belief, and still to this day, me and the kids go, hey, you remember that time? <laughs> Have you ever had one of those moments? You couldn't believe what you were seeing with your eyes. It pushed you beyond what was rational for you, and you were unsure if it was really real. Well, I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. And so today in our passage, we're actually going to see one of those moments where it pushed the Bible characters beyond what was reasonable. It was a moment that was too good to be true. We're in week two of a six-week series studying the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. We're going to look at six of those. The series is entitled Risen. See, we not only have an empty tomb, but we also have an alive Jesus. And after his resurrection from the dead, he made many appearances and proved that he had conquered the grave. And the scriptures record many of these events. Let me remind you of the point of the study. When we look at these post-resurrection appearances, they are there to evidence the reality of the resurrection. And they're there to give us insight into the unique nature and attributes of the risen Christ. It's a preview of what God will be like in heaven. And then they communicate the last commands of Jesus to the church and, and, and to us. And we're going to see all three of those things in today's passage. So we're going to be looking at Luke 24, verses 36 to 49. And I want to read it to you. But before I do, let me remind you of where we're at in the story. There are three appearances of the risen Lord on Easter Sunday. You could call them a trilogy of risenness, if you will. In the morning, he appeared at the empty tomb. We studied that two weeks ago on Easter. In the afternoon, he appeared to two disciples who were walking from Jerusalem to a city called Emmaus. And we studied that last week when Dr. Mark Yarbrough was here from DTS. And he also appeared that evening to his disciples who had assembled behind closed doors. And this evening appearance is what we'll study today. Let me set it up for you. If you remember last week, two of Christ's followers were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They were sad. They were confused. They were dazed because of the death and burial of Jesus. And even though they had heard this rumor, this whisper, this news of the resurrection, they didn't believe it to be true. And as they walked along the road, Jesus suddenly appeared to them. And he began to walk the road with them. And he began to, to talk with them. And then he began to teach them from the scriptures about the Messiah. He even had a, a meal with them. And just when the two disciples realized that they were in the presence of the resurrected Jesus, he abruptly disappeared. He vanished right before their eyes. The story concluded with the two disciples hurrying back to Jerusalem to tell the others they, they, the news. And when they arrived, they found the disciples behind locked 
doors, cowering in fear, and they share with them the news of the risen Savior. That's where we'll pick up the story. Look at Luke chapter 24, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, while the two disciples were still sharing the news that they had been contacted by the resurrected Christ, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch and see me. A, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures and he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the third recorded appearance of the resurrected Christ on that first Easter Sunday. Here's what I want to do. I want to walk you back through the passage. Let's take a, a closer look. Let's walk through it verse by verse. And I want you to look for these three things in this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. First, it's a surprising appearance. The disciples are caught off guard. Second, it offers convincing evidence to help them overcome their doubt and unbelief. And then third, it delivers a transforming message, a message for them and a message to be proclaimed through them. So here's what we're going to see today. This, this is the, the bottom line takeaway, that the risen Lord appeared to offer assurance and to issue an assignment. He came to bring credibility to this news that he was alive. He came to remove doubt. He came to prove that he had risen. But he also came to commission his followers, his disciples, to proclaim the good news of eternal life and forgiveness of sin there in Jerusalem and then out to the whole world. Let's pick it up. Look at verses 36 and 37, the surprising appearance. It says, while they were still talking about this, while the two disciples who witnessed resurrected Christ on the road to Emmaus were sharing the news behind closed doors, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. The disciples were getting a debrief from Cleopas and his companion about what had happened on their journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they were telling the story. They were confirming that Jesus suddenly appeared. And they were telling the story of seeing him and walking with him and eating with him. And then, boom, Jesus appears in the room and says, peace be among you. He suddenly and unexpectedly stood among them. And just like that, 
They were all in the presence of the risen Christ. The abruptness of his arrival startled them. It frightened them. I'm sure there were big eyes and goosebumps all around the room. This was an alarming arrival, and it caught them off guard. Just think about that moment. While Cleopas and his friend are telling the story about Jesus surprising them, boom, Jesus surprises them. Peace be among you. Do you think anybody jumped? Have you ever been caught off guard? I love to do that to my wife. Just walk in and go, hello. She usually jumps. She usually says, stop doing that. And then she gets angry at me. I wonder if anybody said, Jesus. You think that's where that started? (laughs) You gotta quit doing that, man. You're freaking me out. Recognizing that they were rattled, look at the words of Christ. Peace be with you. And if you think about it, at this point in the story, the disciples had anything but peace. They were confused. They were sad. They didn't know what was going on. So into their doubt, into their fright, into their confusion, he brought his presence and his peace. There's actually a parallel passage to this story. I'll put them up side by side. John in his gospel in chapter 20 tells of the same events and he gives further detail. It says on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, For fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you. In John's version of the story, he gives a few more details of Jesus suddenly standing in their presence. They were assembled in fear behind locked doors. But a deadbolt or a latch is no match for the risen Savior. You see, the resurrected Jesus is different There are divine and supernatural abilities being put into effect. He can suddenly appear and disappear. Call it miraculous transportation or divine teleportation. It seems that Jesus can materialize instantaneously. Physical barriers, geographical distances are not obstacles for the risen Savior. A few miles or a locked door do not hinder the resurrected Jesus. Now, these supernatural occurrences should not be a surprise to us. After all, Jesus exerted miraculous power routinely in his earthly ministry. His opening act was a virgin birth. His closer was rising from the dead. His encore, as we'll see in a few weeks, was ascending to heaven. And in between, he turned water to wine and multiplied the fish and the loaves and calmed the storms on the sea. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He walked on water. You know the stories. He performed many miraculous signs and and wonders. So to suddenly appear in a room behind a locked door is not a problem. But it did startle those who witnessed it. So back to the story. Jesus appeared to the assembled disciples. He stood among them. He spoke to him. And at this point, the rumor of the resurrection became a reality. They all saw it with their eyes. At this point, the abstract became concrete. At this point, the whispers became certainty. And once again, the word became flesh and dwelled among them. 
So how did Jesus respond to their lingering doubt? Well, look at verses 38 through 40. He met their confusion with convincing evidence. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Another supernatural occurrence, he's reading your minds. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. Jesus challenged their lack of belief. You see, even though that Jesus had predicted his death and resurrection, even though that news of the empty tomb had been shared, and even though Jesus had been seen walking around alive, the disciples were still caught up. They were entangled in doubt and confusion. So Jesus offered convincing evidence. He said, it is me. The real me, I stand before you. It was an earthly body, but raised to a higher position. The real physical Jesus stood before him. He looked like Jesus. He had a familiar earthly form. He sounded like Jesus, he, he, but he felt like that he needed to prove to them that he was not a ghost or an apparition. So first, he offered for them to look at his hands and his feet. The wounds would prove that he was the man from the cross. Secondly, he said, touch, touch my skin and my bones. A ghost does not have these physical properties. He wanted them to see that he was not a spirit. He added material proof to the news of his resurrection. So they saw, they heard, they touched, and it was so convincing. Look at verse 41, that it was hard to believe. It says that while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Verse 41 describes them as still lacking belief, but this time it's a little different. It's a giddy disbelief. They accepted his being alive. Obviously, they're seeing him right there, but it was too good to be true. They were overjoyed and amazed, but still struggling to believe that it was real in the moment. Have you ever had one of those moments? Maybe your favorite team won the big game on the last second play, and you saw it, but you still couldn't believe it. On the way back to your car, you were telling those that you were with, I still can't believe that that ball went over the fence or that that pass was caught or that they didn't win. I still can't believe that we slaughtered Texas two years ago in the fall. <laughs> Have you ever gone home and watched Sports Center to make sure that it was real? The disciples were filled with joy and amazement, but they couldn't believe it even though he stood before them. So Jesus offered further proof that he was not a ghost, that he was flesh and bones. He asked for something to eat. Have you ever seen a ghost eating a cheeseburger? Ghosts are spirits. They don't eat. So they offered him a bite of fish and he ate it in their presence. The idea here would have been that spirits do not need or eat food. He's offering them convincing evidence that he is real. And after offering physical, material proof, he then turned to the scriptures. Look at verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me 
in the Old Testament. And he gives us here the Hebrew breakdown of the scriptures. The law, that's the Pentateuch, the prophets, and then the writings or the poetry books, the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. So not only did he offer physical evidence that was convincing, but he also offered proof from the scriptures. And we saw this last week in that walk to Emmaus. He opened the scriptures and revealed all that he was in fulfillment of what had been promised and written. Now, we are given any specifics about this teaching session. We aren't giving the length of the teaching session or the passages or how long he spoke or what he spoke about, but we do know the purpose, that, that Jesus opened up the scriptures and God opened up their minds. And look at the result. It says that they understood. They had an aha moment. This is one of those times where they began to connect the dots with what was written and what was happening. So what did he teach? Well, like Mark told you last week, anything we put in that blank is speculative. But I want to show you just one possible example, and I'm going high 95% proof belief that he probably went here. So if you don't believe me, we're okay. We don't have to have coffee about it. I'm telling you that I'm speculating. You don't have to remind me that I speculated. We good? I wonder if he went to Isaiah. I wonder if he went to Isaiah chapter 53 and just showed them verse five. It says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his what? By his wounds, we are healed. Now you wanna talk about fulfillment. You want to talk about a, a, a scripture written, a promise made that was fulfilled in Jesus. It, it, it has to be this one. Did you know that these words were written by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before the days of Christ? 700 years prior. They traveled through the ages to this moment. And in this moment, they were filled with meaning. Because Jesus stood before them, having been battered and bruised and scarred. Just three days earlier, they witnessed him hung on a cross. And his hands and his feet bore the marks of his suffering. And in this moment, surely the words of Isaiah came alive to them when he showed them his hands. And then he said, by his wounds, we are healed. He shared the scriptures and I'm sure that it all came together for them. I'm confident that their minds were blown in this moment, that he was the fulfillment of all that was promised, all that they had seen, all that they had witnessed. It all came together and it made sense and there was alignment and there was clarity. It says that he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And in that moment, there was faith. There was worship. And there was allegiance to the risen Lord. You see, that's why he appeared that night. He appeared to offer assurance 
that he was alive. To them and to you. If you're still here and you ever doubt, you're like, I, I don't know if all of this stuff is real. That's why these things are recorded so that you can know there were eyewitnesses to the alive Jesus. In that moment, he provided convincing evidence of the resurrection. It was relational. He stood before them. It was material. He showed them his hands and his feet. It was scriptural. And then it was intended to be missional. Look at verse 46. You see, Jesus also issued to them an assignment. He entrusted to them a transforming message. It says, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father promised, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. It was a message to be received and it was a message to be proclaimed. And I want you to hear the message today. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And he was sent to be the Savior of the world. He was sent to save you from your sin. He proved himself in word and deed, but he was rejected by the very ones that he came to save. He was falsely accused, wrongfully convicted, and suffered a criminal's death on a cross. By his blood, he paid the penalty for our sin. And on the third day, gaining victory over sin and death, he rose from the grave. And to everyone who hears this message and repents of their sin and believes in the one that was sent, to those who turn from their sin and turn to Christ, who leave their sin behind and place their faith, their trust, their belief in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, to them, he offers forgiveness and eternal life. This is the message to be received. So have you received it? I just want to pause right now, and I want you to search your soul. Has the one who rose from the grave, the one who conquered sin and death, become the savior of your soul. That's why we do all of this. We are here to deliver a message of mercy and rescue to lost sinners like you and me. Have you received it? Well, see, it's to be received, but it's also to be proclaimed to all nations. Look at verse 48. Who is going to proclaim this? Jesus said to those in the room, you are the witnesses you have seen me, now go tell others about me. And you know what? This kind of doesn't make sense. Why would you ask a group of people who are cowering in fear behind locked doors to become preachers and proclaimers of a message that's going to get them all jailed and killed? See, that's where verse 49 comes in. Do you see it? Jesus delivered a promise that you're not being asked to go boldly proclaim this message on your own but I'm going to send you a helper. You are going to be clothed with power from on high. And who is he talking about here? The Holy Spirit. 
I'm not going to steal John Barclay's thunder because he's going to preach on this in just a couple of weeks. But the church would be endowed with power from the Holy Spirit to become proclaimers of this news. Hey, remember that Christ appeared to assure our souls, but he also appeared to give an assignment, marching orders, next steps, final commands, a task from heaven. And it wasn't just given to those disciples, it's given to us as well. The privilege and the responsibility to share the message of the risen Christ is now ours. It's ours. Across the street and across the world, we're assigned to proclaim the good news to our neighbors and to the nations. And the good news is that if that intimidates you, you don't have to do it on your own. But the power of the Holy Spirit will work in you and through you. In the John chapter 20 account, Jesus actually shared these words. This is how Easter Sunday closed. He said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Hey, I wanna close in a time of prayer. Would you pray for me? Pray with me. And I wanna give you just a moment to pray for someone that you know that is far from God today. They don't know the Lord. Maybe it's one of your kids. You raised them in the church, but they've deconstructed their faith. Maybe it's a coworker. They just moved here. You're just getting to know them, but it's pretty obviously, pretty obvious that they, they don't know the Lord. Maybe it's a neighbor in your cul-de-sac or somebody you work out with at the gym or play golf with at the club. Has the Lord brought someone into your life that doesn't know him? And now you bear the responsibility of being the witness to them. Would you lift up their name to heaven right now? Just in the quiet of your heart, pray for their soul to be saved. Lord, I know that you've heard these names and I pray that this week we might have the courage to take one step of reaching out to these just to love them well and show them the truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
seen Fill us up and send us out Fill us up and send us out Fill us up, send us out, Lord We pray Fill us up and send us out Fill us up and send us out Fill us up and send us out together and heal my heart and make it clean and open up my eyes to the things unseen and show me how to love like you have loved me and break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. As I walk from earth into eternity. That is our prayer. As we close our time together this morning, would you fill us up, send us out, would you teach us how to love like you have loved us? Thank you for worshiping with us this morning, fellowship. If you'd like prayer this morning, we have Barry and Sally in the prayer room. They'd love to pray with you, for you. Go in peace and the love of Christ this week.